Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old while pressing on to the new. If you are a subscriber, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to listen to each and every one of these episodes. And if this is your first time, I want to welcome you. And I I hope that you get more than you expected to get out of this this episode or this podcast in general. I hope that you would come back and listen to all the other episodes, all 80 plus or 90 plus. I'm not even sure how many I've uh, recorded thus far, but there are more than 80, I can guarantee you. A few of them are in Spanish. I've been uh, also recording some in Spanish for our Spanish-speaking population, and it has reached as far as Spain. So pretty grateful for, for that. If you've heard any of my other uh, episodes, my previous episodes, you probably know that I have a background in education, almost 30 years now. But I also have a background in psychology, a master's in uh, counseling and life coaching at Liberty University. And I'm currently on my doctoral journey. I am on the, uh, the final part of it. Uh, I am on the, uh, the home stretch, per se, working on my dissertation, looking forward to culminating this uh, study and, uh, and, and, and finalizing this. Uh, believe me, my youngest son, my nine-year-old, is the one who's been asking me for the past three or four years, are you there yet? <laughs> are you there yet? Uh, it, it's been a sacrifice nonetheless. It's been very satisfying and gratifying since I've learned so much and have been able to help people uh, that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to unless, uh, unless I had gained this, this knowledge and, and practice that I've gotten through this doctoral journey. So I'm very grateful and uh, looking forward to finishing very soon. But you've probably heard me talk about my, uh, my dissertation probably in the past two or three episodes. My dissertation is a qualitative uh, study. It's a, a phenomenology, a qualitative phenomenology of um, the relationship that there is between ACEs and the onset of adult autoimmune diseases. And so you're probably asking yourself, what is ACEs? Well, ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood experience, and so there's a direct connection between um, children that suffered from child abuse, and I will break it down in 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 a bit. Child abuse and how they grow up, uh, and if not taken care of, if they don't, if they're not given the proper help or assistance, they grow up and they end up developing some form of autoimmune disease, whether it be. Um, diabetes, Hodgkin's, Crohn's, Graves, Hashimoto's, uh, ulcerative colitis, uh, and, and just a plethora of other ailments and diseases that, uh, that are, are generated through uh, childhood abuse. And so that's what I want to talk to you. Uh, I want to talk about this uh, topic today, uh, simply because there is a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of ignorance in this respect, even... Uh, even in the medical field, um, you know, when you go to a doctor, the doctors will treat the body. When you go to a psychologist, the psychologist will treat the mind. Uh, when you go to a pastor, they will treat the spirit. But in all reality, once you think about how God designed us, this perfect design, we are a three-part being. We are mind, body, and spirit. Think about a stool with three legs. Uh, You have to repair all three of the legs in order for it to stand. 
if you repair two and remove one, it, it's going to go sideways and fall and crash into the ground. And so all three parts of the human being need to be healed in order for it to be a holistic healing. And so that's the issue that we're dealing with today is that uh, it's easier to send a child to the doctor, to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician asks the questions, what is going on with the child? And the parent says, well, uh, he just can't sit still. He's bouncing off the walls. He, he gets in trouble at school because the teacher reports that he just doesn't mind the teacher, doesn't work, doesn't complete tasks. And so the, the doctor will immediately give the parent a, a checklist, a checklist that they as parents need to answer, a checklist that the teacher needs to answer. And after just a sentence, uh, they will bring it back to the doctor. The doctor will see that if they've checked off for more than five of those items, well, then the child has what is deemed to be um, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And, and they're good to go. And now they become somewhat like zombies. Now, I'm not saying that Adderall is not for a, a, a segment of the population that is literally suffering from uh, adverse, or I'm sorry, from ADHD, uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that the other portion of the population, which makes up about 75% of those kids that have been put on Adderall, those just need something that we call TLC, some tender love and care. They need they need affection, affirmation. They need love. They're coming from a background that is perhaps disconnected and dysfunctional. And so then you have a child who is is yearning for attention. They are they are screaming, and of course, everybody freaks out and thinks that they're ADHD, or or if they're withdrawn, they're ADD. They're their attention deficit disorder, you know, they're withdrawn. So, so they're disconnected from everyone. So they must be ADD. And so we need to give them also when 75% of them, all they need is a mom and a dad that is willing to be a mom and a dad. <laughs> That's my pet peeve. You've probably heard me talk about this before. Kids who are reactive are kids who are asking for attention. Who's now 30 years old, and he said something that uh, that I'll never forget when we were talking about, you know, kids who are always needing attention, and, and not necessarily good attention, right, but bad attention. And he said this to me. He says, Dad, he says, good attention or bad attention is still attention. And so we came to realize that a lot of kids that get into trouble at school, they do it uh, almost intentionally. There's a purpose behind it. And the purpose is, well, if I get in trouble, my parents are going to be called. Although that's bad attention, at the end of the day, it's still attention. And that's what they are longing for. And that's why they get in trouble. A kid who is bouncing off the walls, I guarantee you, if you bring them in and give them a hug, if you give them your time, if you speak their love language, whatever it is, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, uh, you know, uh, physical, physical touch, whatever it may be, if you speak their language, I guarantee you that a lot of these kids would be off of Adderall or off of the infamous patch that helps, you know, regulate their conduct. They are dysregulated because they are crying out for 
attention. And so that's my pet peeve is how a parent can just take the kid to the doctor, to the pediatrician, throw them in there, put them on medication, and, and have them on meds for the rest of their lives. And then they become addicted to that pill, which not only modulates or regulates uh, their behavior, but it also changes their personalities. But I will say this again, let me reiterate this, that there is a 25% of the population that definitely needs to be medicated for one reason or another. And so I want to talk to you about adverse childhood experience. When I heard about ACEs, uh, I remember, I believe it was uh, a doctor who did a TED Talk a few years ago, I believe uh, Dr. Burke, if I'm not mistaken, a female physician that did a whole study that stemmed from the study that was done by Dr. Felitti uh, with Kaiser Permanente and the CDC. They did a study way back and uh, back somewhere in, uh, I believe it was like 2002, where they where they took the uh, medical records of 17,000 individuals and they did this whole case study. And they came to find out that these 17,000 individuals that uh, were suffering from some kind of autoimmune disease had actually been reported to have uh, gone through child abuse. And so there is a there's a test called the ACEs score that uh, they took and uh, they they checked off for most of the uh, the different items that qualified them uh, for ACEs. And so the study, of course, from there just expanded and it's been ongoing ever since. And so what what it what we came to understand through this study was that if these individuals, these first of all, you know, these children that uh, went through these adverse childhood experiences, had they been treated along the way, had they received the proper the proper help, perhaps uh, a, a, a huge percentage of them would be healthy today. And and and, and it goes even deeper than that. It, it creates an awareness that there is something is going on in our society that's gone unnoticed, that there are a lot of kids going to school that have been abused, and that's going unnoticed. And the system has failed them royally. I have worked with Child uh, Protective Services uh, many times, and I can tell you that a lot of the people, and no offense to, to them because I have a lot of friends who work there, but I know that a lot of them are overworked they, they are under-resourced. They don't have enough personnel to deal with all of the issues that are happening in our community. And so these poor kids are, are underserved. They are unnoticed. They go under the radar. Nobody helps them. And then they end up developing these autoimmune diseases as adults. There is a crazy book written. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of the author. I believe his name is David. I can't remember the last name at this point. But this, this guy wrote a book. It was kind of like an autobiography. The book is called A Boy Named It or A Boy Called It. If you haven't read that book, it's based on a true story. It is gut-wrenching. It, it, it'll, it'll bring tears to your eyes. I mean, just to read what this young man went through, where his, his mother was just so abusive that he had, to, he had to sleep in the basement on a cot without a mattress, and he was treated worse than a dog. And he never came to understand why as a child. He didn't understand his mother burnt him with an iron. I mean, she did some horrible things to this young man. David Peltzer, now I remember the name. It's David David Peltzer. 
a boy called it or a boy named it. I mean, the book, the book's title uh, references what the mother did one day. She said, you're not worthy of being called my son or even being worthy of being called David. I'm going to call you it. You are just it. And so he went through uh, tumultuous times through so much abuse. And then he came to find out as an adult that mom was suffering from mental health issues. And dad dad was just kind of like a an afterthought. He just sat there. He was like a lump. <laughs> he was just there, did nothing. He was basically afraid of his wife because of her outburst. But he never understood why his brother never got the same treatment, but he did. He was given Uh, scraps from the table and they were thrown onto the ground and she made him eat like a dog. It, it It was, it's a horrible story, but nonetheless, there's so much that we can gain from that to understand why some people operate and think the way that they do and why they react the way that they do. In marriage counseling, this is a really interesting fact, and, and after so many years of doing marriage counseling or marriage therapy or relation, relationship therapy, I've come to realize that the individuals in, in marriage that uh, have a tendency to lash out to their, to their spouse uh, during a time of conflict, rather than trying to Rather than trying to resolve conflict, what they do is they lash out, they react, they become reactive, usually, you know, verbally or physically. These are individuals oftentimes, 90% of the time, that have um, unresolved childhood trauma, unresolved childhood trauma. Let me tell you why. Sometimes you will find that people in relationships will lash out physically, uh, they'll have these these reactive outbursts where they will kick, scream, punch. Uh, they'll pull hair. They'll throw objects at their spouse. They'll punch walls. They'll you know kick doors. They'll they'll do erratic things. Uh, their their behavior will be so erratic that that the uh, that that just seems completely out of the normal. Now, what they are doing is they're reacting as a child would at around the same stage in which they were the most abused or the most traumatized. And so when you see somebody that's reacting that way, you always have to ask yourself, how old were they when they were the most traumatized? Because at times they'll act like a five-year-old or they'll act like an eight-year-old. And this is exactly about the time when they were the most traumatized. And so in, in, in other words, emotionally, they have been stuck. They are, they are stuck emotionally at seven years of age because that's when they were hurt the most. And sometimes it's not necessarily something that is as reactive as what I have just mentioned. Sometimes it's simply stonewalling. It's that individual during a time of crisis, during a time of crisis within the marriage, when conflict arises, and what they do is they stonewall. They they turn around, they walk away, and they lock themselves in a room. And so when they were children, when they were facing a traumatic life experience, what they did was hide in the closet. They hide, hid in the bathroom. They hid in their in their bedroom. And so now as adults, what they do is they, they, they mimic the same behavior. They hide in a room or they get into their vehicle, they drive away or they walk away, or they simply shut down completely and they stonewall the other individual. And so in every individual uh, that reacts this way, there's always a child deep down in the heart that has yet to be healed. They have yet to be healed. And so oftentimes I have to tell the couple, I have to tell him or her 
that inside their spouse, there's a little child that is in fetal position in a corner that is afraid. And every time the wife raises her voice at him, he has these flashbacks of when mom and dad were screaming and fighting and he gets into fetal position and he hides and vice versa. Sometimes it could be also, you know, it could be the same for the wife. And when he raises his voice or when he becomes animated physically, almost like is as if he were about to strike her, uh, she remembers when dad abused her or mom abused her and, and, and their reaction is the same as it was back then. And so every person that is yet to be healed, that has not overcome those, those obstacles, those traumas, those, those life-altering experiences from their childhood, if they have not healed from them, they will be reactive as adults in a situation that causes stress. And look, each of us usually experience three kinds of stress. We have good stress, tolerable stress, and toxic stress. Each can cause us to, to stretch and grow, but toxic stress presents unique challenges, especially during the childhood years. These kinds of uh, stress exist on a continuum, uh, meaning that the line between them is somewhat gradual, but they can generally be defined as, as, as this. A good stress challenges without overwhelming us. So we're under control emotionally and tend to make good decisions. Uh, think of a student who has prepared for an important exam or, or prepared athlete performing well in a big game. The stress response, fight or flight, is, is brief. It's for a, a quick moment, and, and levels of stress hormones are appropriate. So good stress is okay. It's kind of like, you know, when you are out there, you know, jogging, you're out in the street jogging, and all of a sudden you hear a dog chasing you, and of course you go into fight-flight response, and so you secrete, you know, cortisol and your adrenaline rush, but it's for a brief moment. That stress is okay. We're designed to, to respond that way. But then you have tolerable stress. Tolerable, tolerable stress might involve intense, a more intense fight or flight physical change with, with greater elevations of your stress hormone, also known as cortisol. However, the body eventually returns to its normal state, especially if uh, trusted adults help the child buffer the stress. In other words, if, you, if the child is assisted in uh, regulating or recalibrating uh, if an adult is there to help them do that, then the recovery is quicker. And the recovery occurs before there is a lasting physical or psychological damage. So for example, you might think of the death of a loved one from natural causes or a community coming together after you know a hurricane, especially like now in, in Florida. You think about that, you know, people are going through tolerable stress only if and only if there's someone there to help them buffer the stress. Uh, to help minimize the stress, to minimize the impact. If you have fam family support or you have community support, uh, and so a child is the exact same, the child will go through a stressful moment. Maybe they had, had an encounter with a bully. Maybe they were involved in an auto accident and they are deadly afraid, but there's someone there, a loved one, you know, someone who is there to help them buffer that stress response, and then it becomes a toler tolerable stress. Now, then you have, lastly, you have toxic stress. And toxic stress is so overwhelming, so severe, so chronic that the person is literally shaken up and stressed for a long 
period of time. This kind of stress adversely affects the brain and the biology in ways that impair adult health, work performance, relationships, judgment, impulse control, spirituality, and self-esteem, especially in the absence of a safe adult to buffer the stress. The effects of toxic stress can be passed down intergenerationally if unchecked. Let me repeat that. There is such a thing as intergenerational trauma. Yes, trauma that is passed down generation through generation. A simple example is someone who has been traumatized because as a child they fell into a body of water, could be a pool, a lake, and they were close to drowning and someone rescued them, but they were traumatized, but yet no one ever assisted them in helping them recover from this trauma. And so that that child develops into an adult that is deadly afraid of water. They stay away from pools, lakes, the ocean, the beach. They stay away from all those things because they are severely traumatized. And so what you have is that adult grows up, has their own children, and teach their children, they teach their children that Water is a dangerous place to be. Pools, lakes, the beach is a dangerous place to be. And this trauma is passed down from one generation to another and another. It's almost like it's almost like that experiment, you know. It's 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 that trauma is is almost part of a uh, let's call it a a brain or a mind conditioning, a mental conditioning, a behavior conditioning. It's like that experiment that was done. They put uh, what was it like four monkeys in a cage. And there was a pole right in the middle of the cage with uh, a bunch of bananas at the top, and they let the monkeys climb up the pole. Those four monkeys climbed up the pole, and they grabbed the bananas and ate them. The next day, the uh, the scientist, uh, they did uh, the same thing, although this time there was a variant. The scientist put the bananas, uh, the bunch of bananas at the top of the pole so that the monkeys could climb up, but another scientist stood on a side with somewhat of a fire hose, and as the, as the monkeys were going up, they would shoot them with, with uh, pressure water, and they would shoot them to a point where they would fall from the pole and would not grab the banana. And so one after another after another, they did this. And so the next day when they put up the bananas, the monkeys didn't even dare go up to grab the bananas because they were deadly afraid of the pressurized water that was going to knock them off the pole. And so what they did is they took two of those monkeys and they removed them from the cage, and they left only two, let's call them traumatized monkeys in the cage, and they brought two new ones into the cage. These monkeys had no previous knowledge of the water. They had no previous knowledge of the trauma. But as soon as they put out the bananas, the two new monkeys saw the bananas and quickly were about to jump up the pole, but the other two monkeys started screaming and jumping erratically, trying to keep them from going up the pole. And they didn't go up the pole. The monkeys were actually successful at holding them back. Of course, those monkeys didn't understand why, but because the other ones, every time they tried to go up the pole, reacted erratically, aggressively, and screamed, they eventually stopped trying Stop trying. Uh, they stopped trying uh, to climb up that pole. 
And so what they did was they removed the two old monkeys. They left the two new monkeys that were also deadly afraid of going up there, although they didn't know why. And they brought two other monkeys in. These two monkeys had no prior knowledge. And as they were about to climb the pole to get the bananas, the other two monkeys that had never experienced the water started screaming erratically, jumping up and down, and did not let them climb the pole. That's a perfect example of two things right there. That's a perfect example of, uh, of conditioning someone's behavior, but it's also a, a good example of intergenerational trauma, trauma that is passed down from generation to generation because at some point there was toxic stress that was never dealt with. No one was ever there to help them buffer the stress. And so the adverse childhood experience, the ACEs, the study is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is the brainchild of two doctors, Vincent Felitti, uh, who was the head of uh, Kaiser Permanente's Department of Prevent- uh, Preventive Medicine in San Diego, California, and Robert Anda, who was, uh, who was a researcher for the CDC. And so they analyzed the medical records, as I mentioned, about 17,000 individuals, and, uh, and they found that 10 commonly reported ACEs can predict a wide range of psychological, medical, and functional problems. And so here are the ACEs. And and I'm not going to get deep down into the research. I wanted to keep this episode just kind of to the point where the, the idea is to create some awareness of why some people are struggling with... Uh, mental health or health issues, okay? And this could be you. And you're thinking, well, I've never experienced anything traumatic. But then when you go deep down and you start to think about your past and, and or, or perhaps go to therapy and, and a therapist helps you walk through that journey as you go in reverse back into the past to try and find the moment in which you were the most traumatized and why it is that today you suffer from a variety of different issues, whether mental health or health or even relational. But let me let me go over the uh, the the ten different uh, items that Felitti and Anda were able to to pinpoint. Number one is uh, there are three kinds of abuse. Of course, there's sexual, physical, and emotional. There's two kinds of neglect: emotional and physical neglect. So you have children who were uh, subject to abuse whether sexual, physical, or emotional. Then you have two kinds of neglect, children that were neglected emotionally and physically. Now, you've probably heard, you know, speaking of neglect, you've probably heard that in uh, countries like uh, uh, Russia or the Ukraine, there are uh, a lot of babies that live, uh, that have been either the parents have died uh, due to war or for various reasons, or they've given up their children to adoption, and they have these buildings with uh, cribs full of babies that are going through the adoption process. I know a few uh, individuals that have, individuals with great big hearts that have gone uh, to the Ukraine and to Russia to adopt children, and uh, and I know that the process is is a very lengthy one, a very lengthy process. Some taking up to four to five years uh, just to bring uh, the child back with them, and uh, it's it's beautiful to see uh, the adoption process. I, for one, am uh, the the big brother of a, an adopted uh, sister. 
I don't know if she's listening to this episode today, but uh, she was adopted uh, when she was only a few months old, and uh, she was brought into the family with uh, great love and great acceptance and became our sister. And so I understand what it is, but I also understand that... uh, you know, children that come from this background can bring traumas. And, and although they were adopted as babies, there, there are still intergenerational traumas or there are traumas that are even inflicted in the womb. And so, so these children that are in cribs in Russia and, and, and the Ukraine, uh, there is a neglect that happens that they undergo. And the neglect happens because there aren't enough workers to care for them. And so, and so what happens is uh, the children are, are neglected emotionally. So n- nobody talks to them. They're just there in cribs. They feed them. They, they, they change their diapers. They bathe them. But nobody interacts with them. And so these children, because of the lack of interaction, their brains uh, don't develop at the same speed because there is no no uh, stimulation. They're not stimulating their brains. And so the frontal lobe uh, doesn't develop as it should as any other child, you know, when they are interacting with their parents. And so neglect hurts the child's development and they almost develop a form of mental retardation because of this. Neglect is a serious thing, emotional neglect, physical neglect. Of course, physical neglect is when parents, you know, don't feed their children, they don't give them just the basic needs that you would find on, uh, you know, uh, Maslow's pyramid or the hierarchy of needs when they are not given just the basic of all things. And there's a physical neglect. You know, there is a, a friend of mine um, who is a good friend of mine, and he's a doctor. He's a director for the NICU at uh, DHR uh, Health in uh, McAllen, Texas, Dr. Dinion Rubia. He is just one one very, very sweet man. I mean, this guy's got a great big heart. He is uh, also very smart, very wise outgoing. And I can't say enough about this guy. I just love Dino uh, and what he's done for the community and how many, how God has used him to save so many preemies. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I mean, just, I can't say enough, but one of the things that he allowed us to do was to take some of our students to the NICU uh, where there were a lot of babies. And these babies, a lot of them are are the children of very young moms. And these young moms, for one reason or another, whether it was because uh, they had to work or go to school or simply because they were just neglectful, they, would, uh, they wouldn't show up to go visit their babies and the babies would be in the NICU for weeks or months at a time. And these parents would hardly or ever show up. And so Dr. Andrubia would allow us to uh, take some of our students from the upper grades in the middle school and, uh, and, and to choose a book and go over there and, and read to these babies in the NICU. I'm talking about teeny tiny babies that would some of them fit in the palm of your hand. And our students would go over there. It was such a, a tender moment to see them reading to these babies because Doc Gondrovia understood uh, that in order for them to develop, uh, for their brains to develop, they needed to have that stimulus, the stimuli. And, and so they allowed us to do that. And there were a lot of uh, ladies there, a lot of elderly ladies that we call winter Texans that would volunteer their time 
simply to put on a very soft glove and to caress these babies to stimulate their central nervous system, to allow them to understand and to know that somebody was there for them. That is so important. So neglect is such a powerful and traumatic uh, stressor in the life of a child, and they end up growing up developing a, a, a plethora of, of uh, mental health issues and physical health issues. And so once again, we have abuse, and then you have neglect, and then we have also the five kinds of household dysfunction. You have parents that uh, divorce or are separated or witnessing a mother or stepmother being treated uh, violently or a household member that is addicted to alcohol or some kind of drug, or a household member that is suicidal or mentally ill, or a household member that is in jail. Those are the 10 items that are indicative of adverse childhood experiences. And so you're probably thinking right now, well, do I qualify for any of those? Well, you can take that test online and try and figure out if you actually could be a, uh, a candidate. And, uh, and if, especially if you're struggling with mental health or you're struggling with some kind of physical health issue, uh, that could be the reason. And finding proper help, not only, not only taking the pill to, uh, or the insulin shot because you're diabetic, but, but seeking proper therapy to help you curve those issues and perhaps heal a lot faster. And so there are medical conditions that stem from adverse childhood experiences, uh, one of them being obesity. I don't know where you live, but I live in South Texas, and we are one of the most obese uh, communities uh, in Texas. Uh, very obese, I believe. Houston is is right 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 above us. Uh, but obesity is something that occurs through uh, adverse childhood experiences. That's eating. Uh, simply eating uh, because it, it's also it's almost like self-medicating. And, and, and the thought process is that maybe people will leave me alone if I'm unattractive or, or if I can throw my weight around, you know. A lot of times that people who have been sexually abused, especially, especially little girls grow up and, and they become obese because to them in the subconscious part of their mind, they're thinking, well, if I'm, if I'm overweight and unattractive, people will leave me alone. Another condition is type 2 diabetes or cardiovascular diseases like heart disease or, or you know, a stroke, certain forms of cancer, autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, multiple sclerosis, lupus, uh, psoriasis, celiac disease, inflammatory bowel uh, disease, uh, Graves' disease, vitiligo, idiopathic uh, pulmonary fibrosis, primary biliary uh, cirrhosis, uh, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, hepatitis, nearly all sleeping disorders, okay, nearly all sleeping disorders like sleep apnea, nightmares, insomnia, narcolepsy, sleepwalking, sleep eating, all of these are connected to adverse childhood experiences. Reproductive problems, you know, sexually transmitted diseases, uh, preterm birth, ulcers, fractures, short lifespan, uh, poor self-rated health. Um, then you have mental health conditions like low self-esteem, depression, including bipolar disorder, anxiety, including panic disorder, uh, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder or complex PTSD, borderline personality disorder, and at attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. 
Then you also have risky behaviors that develop from uh, ACEs, which is uh, drug abuse or mis- or drug uh, misuse, uh, suicide attempts, or precocious sexual uh, activity. I mean, come on, think think about think about that girl that. Uh, that right out of high school or even before high school was out, she was already pregnant. You know, think about her home. I can guarantee you that that girl that you know that got pregnant before, before uh, you know, graduating from high school, I guarantee you she came from a highly dysfunctional home. Her dad was absent. Her mother was castrating or vice versa. The dad was castrating and the mother was absent. There was dysfunction within the home, and she was directly impacted. And so what do they do? They go out and they look for love in all the wrong places. I mean, they go out seeking attention, and the first bozo that shows up, they fall in love, or they don't necessarily fall in love. They just fall into that trap and, and, uh, and get pregnant, and uh, now they're teenage moms. And now they're passing on that dysfunction to a child. And so you have, you have that risky behavior uh, or intimate partner violence, uh, what we call IPV. Uh, that's the greater likelihood of victimization or perpetration, including, including uh, later being raped. And so people that are, uh, historically when we see this, people that have been raped as adults or people who exhibit IPV, uh, uh, intimate partner violence, uh, these are people that came from highly dysfunctional homes that qualify for ACEs. Highly, highly, highly likely that it is directly connected to ACEs. Uh, and then you have impaired function experiences can really wreck somebody's life if not uh, taken care of. This whole episode is really to create an awareness. Uh, the reason that I am uh, working on my dissertation, and it, it is... Um, ACEs and the, the, um, what ACEs leads to in adulthood, the reason I'm doing that is, is to create an awareness. Now, I don't know how many people will end up reading my thesis. I don't know. But you know what? If one person reads it and their eyes are open and they have an aha moment, hey, that's good for me. That's enough for me. We have to start small, but then we can create a domino effect. I would encourage you to have this... Uh, moment. Uh, if you're a Christian, I would say, I would say, go before God and ask him, oh Lord, you know, search my heart. Search my heart, God, and, and show me, look, I've, I've, I've messed up as a parent or I've messed up as a, as a spouse or I've become violent or reactive. And, and I've told people that I don't know why I do what I do, or I don't know why I react this way. Uh, I feel like I'm never going to be able to change. or I'm always depressed. Or I'm always feeling anxious. I have issues sleeping. I mean, whatever it may be, whatever is affecting you in your life, again, it, whether it be in your relationships and your job performance, whether it be in your physical health, health or mental health, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to find time to find a therapist, find a counselor. If you're a Christian, preferably someone who is a believer. Now, don't go to, uh, let, let me just tell you, I am a life coach. And there are a lot of life coaches out there that are a bunch of bozos. They don't know what they're doing. They probably got a, a six-week uh, certificate online that qualifies them as life coaches, but they are far from being life coaches. They are far from being counselors. Just because somebody... Uh, if you're finding, if you're going to go out to try and find some help, make sure that you find someone who's qualified, someone whose life uh, displays health, 
that are physically healthy, that are emotionally healthy. I mean, if you're suffering from obesity and you're going to go to a health coach and your health coach is 50 pounds overweight, would you really take their advice? Probably not. If you're going to seek, you know, marital uh, counseling and you go to someone who is divorced twice, would you listen to their advice? Probably not. So make sure that you find the right person, but I encourage you to help yourself. Help yourself by going before God, going into that intimate time and saying, Lord, search my heart, put my thoughts to the test and show me if there's anything from my past that is keeping me from my future. Is there anything from my past that I'm holding on to that's not allowing me to see the purpose that you have for me in life? I mean, there is, uh, like I said, 75% of all people that are struggling with something today have some form of adverse childhood experience that they've gone through. It's not only soldiers that come back from war that have PTSD. There are children that have been traumatized and that grow up and they display or they exhibit the same post-traumatic stress disorder uh, symptomology. So please, 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 if you're going through something right now, seek proper help. Don't let it fester. Don't let it become cancerous. And I'm saying this literally, literally, don't let it become cancer. Don't let it become ulcerative colitis. Don't let it become Graves, Crohn's, Hashimoto's. Don't let it become any of that. Seek proper help. And if you know of someone, shed some light on their situation. Tell them to to read about adverse childhood experiences and their connection with mental and physical health issues in adulthood. But go before God ultimately and ask Him to heal your mind, your body, and your spirit. My friend, don't let your past determine your future. Break free from it so that you don't become bound to it. People are full of paradigms, mindsets, thought patterns that have kept them from greater things in life. Break the chain and press on. God has promised great things for your life. Don't ever forget Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Let me pray for you right now. Would you, if you're not driving, of course, would you bow your head? If you're sitting there and you're able to bow your head and close your eyes, do so. If you're driving, Don't close your eyes. (laughs) Let me pray for you right now. Father, we come before you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for every listener that is connected to this podcast. Thank you for their lives, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness. Thank you that you never fail us. You never leave us nor forsake us. You're real. You're a good God, a mighty God, a powerful God a God that still heals. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change. Father, I pray for everyone that is listening right now, especially those that have been able to identify with what I've shared today. Some of them have gone through some traumatic life-altering experiences, adverse childhood experiences, whether they were neglected physically or emotionally, whether they were abused physically, emotionally, or sexually or whether they witnessed something in the household that had to do with suicidal attempts or someone was on drugs or mentally ill or incarcerated. Whatever it is, Father, there are no impossibles for those who believe. 
And so I'm believing for them today. I'm standing in faith, believing that everyone that is listening today, that you, Lord, when they seek you, that they will find you. When they go into that intimate place to seek your presence, Lord, that you would reveal to them, that you would paint a picture in their hearts and in their minds what it is exactly that hurt them, who it was that hurt them, when it happened, so that they can forgive, break free, let go, and press on. Lord, because I know that you have great plans, great plans for them, but nonetheless, if we don't or aren't willing to let go of our past, we end up becoming like Lot's wife, a pillar of salt that couldn't get to that safe haven, to that beautiful place that you had promised Lot and his family. All you said was, run, don't look back. Don't look back at Sodom and Gomorrah. It'll be destroyed. But I have a place that I've promised for you. But don't look back. And Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She lost her opportunity. I pray that everyone listening today would not be like Lot's wife. That they would keep their eyes on you. That they would keep their eyes on the promise. And that they would break free from their past. So that their past doesn't determine their future. Lord, we thank you today. And we praise you because you are good. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope that it sheds some light onto your life. Please share it. Please like this episode. Leave a comment. I love reading your comments. Leave a comment. But above all, share this episode. The more you share it, the more people will be able to benefit from it. God bless you guys. I love you, love you, love you in Christ. (laughs) Goodbye.